everyone. Welcome to this week's Tales from the Tavern. I am Gamer Mom Luna. I am uh, part of the writing team over at Shadowmain.com. And I am Jason, creator and writer at Shadowmain.com. This week we're here interviewing Seth Skorkowski about all his experiences in writing and TTRPG and creating and whatever else he wants to talk about. Awesome. Um, Seth, it's really great to have you here. So tell us a little about who you are, where people can find you around the internet, and um, then we'll get into asking some questions. Sure. Uh, well, thank you guys. Thank you for having me. Uh, well, I am Seth Skorkowski. I am a, a fantasy novelist uh, originally, and then uh, one day on a kind of whim, I decided to start making some YouTube videos about uh, tabletop role-playing games, and that ended up cresting past my notoriety as an author so now uh, instead of being a writer youtuber i'm a youtuber author and uh so i it is at the youtube channel with the highly imaginative name seth skorkowski so good luck spelling that that was a good choice on my part uh where i talk about i do just different game reviews i'll do um kind of rpg philosophy uh with just kind of uh, concepts or how to's uh, sometimes i'll do just really goofy dumb videos just because that happened to be my mood of just doing a really silly video um so i do that uh, i've also written for a couple tabletop companies uh, now so i've written with uh chaosium uh mongoose stygian fox and one more i'm not allowed to name yet but there's a fourth in the pipe um won the any award for best online content in 2019 and then my uh, debut call of Cthulhu adventure uh the collection that was in won an indie award so it was, a, it was a shared one that wasn't just me i kind of it's weird saying i'm two two-time winner uh basically it was like it was a huge group project and my part was not so bad that it dragged everybody else down it's so that is that's me in a nutshell oh i do a podcast modern mythos man i do a lot <laughs> so, anyways that's me in short you never notice how much you do until you have to list it all out <laughs> i know yeah. uh all right so speaking of you do a lot uh i wanted to ask you because it seems like you're really busy um do you still do you have time for uh, uh fiction writing anymore or, or has, has ttrpgs consumed your life um, the, the channel has has pretty much become the main thing that I do. Uh, uh, I've done a, a couple little short stories, uh, usually with their requests. I did um, Dystopia Rising, Onyx Path wanted to do a uh, little collection of stories when they released uh, their Dystopia Rising RPG. So, you know, they, they asked me. So I've technically written for Onyx Path, but that was fiction. Um, and... There was a Black Raven story that I've I've done based off of just requests. So, but as far as sitting down and writing my novels, now it's it's really just become the, the channel primarily, and and a lot of that has to do with writing a novel is, you know, it's nine months at least, you know, nine months to fifteen months depending, and then you have to go through months before. You know, which I, I have an agent now, so I don't have to go through that ordeal again. Uh, which you know, there's I shaved a year off, but then you have to go through about a year after you've turned it into your agent of going through all the edits and after they've sold it and, and all that. So I, I think I forget who who said it, but writing a book is a lot like telling a joke and waiting two years to see if it's funny. <laughs> uh, and and by the time the book comes out, you are so sick of it. 
Uh, that is also the secret. Every author, by the time their book comes out, is so sick of it because they've gone through all the editing rounds. And they're like, just, just get this over with. I'm on to my next thing. I'm probably nine months into my next thing. Uh, but with YouTube channel, it's like uh, I do a video every other week usually. So I kind of have like a week off between and then I spend a solid week putting together a video and then it's out there. I get instant feedback and it's like, cool, on to my next project. So that, that works a lot better with my, my ADD brain as far as uh, instant feedback. It's instantly out and I'm now on to something else. Awesome. I, I can understand that. I am an instant gratification person myself. <laughs> um, so going to TTRPGs, uh, you're sort of known for your interest in Call of Cthulhu. Uh, so what do you think some of the major differences are between Call of Cthulhu and D&D? And do you find that they attract different types of players? Um, definitely different types of, of players. D&D um, is... Uh, one, it's the gateway. I, th I think most players, you know, finding people that didn't start with D&D, &D they're, they're, they're the rarity. Most players, even the people that own the other publishing companies that do vastly different things, they started with D&D &D because that's usually the gateway. And then that appeals to uh, you've got your, your fantasy setting, your kind of classic castles and swords and horses, uh, but then it's also heroic. So you're you're playing your heroes. You get more powerful, and you you know, fight monsters and and your epic heroes. Call of Cthulhu is investigative horror. So just based off of themes, we're now in a different realm entirely, uh, and that is more about discovery as well as the horror. A lot of people only call it horror. It's like mm, it's investigative. I consider it as as much uh, Agatha Christie as I do Lovecraft because. Mm -hmm. Uh, solving mysteries is, is the key part. Player characters are called investigators. So uh, that's the difference of theme. Your characters are not epic heroes. They're usually average people. Like, you know, a cab driver and, you know, the, the person that works in the used bookstore have an adventure together. Uh, so it's not, you know, larger than life. They're, you're very fragile. So things, you know, monsters or, or bad guys are, are very serious threats because you do not gain more hit points as you gain experience. Um, it is, it's what's called a skill-based game. So instead of having character levels, like I'm first, second, third level, it's you just have a lot of skills and those individually go up as you use them. And uh, which I also prefer that style. Um, mechanically, the other one is it's off of a one to hundred scale. Mm -hmm. So if you've got a uh, sixty percent in library search, uh, that's your skill roll. Well, your whole percentage dice, you get a sixty or lower. Congratulations! So it, it is also really simple because there's no math. Yeah. <laughs> it's just did you roll under it? Cool. Yay, no and, math. <laughs> um, so, but it is it is much more role play centric uh, as far as it, it's. Yeah, a completely different approach. So they're very different, but a lot of the times when people will start with D&D, they'll do that, and then they kind of start looking around going, man, what else is out there? And that's when they kind of wander into the the, 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 the dusty corner of the you know local game shop. <laughs> and that's where we're waiting. <laughs> All right. Um, so Call of Cthulhu, they have a mechanic for PC sanity. Um, 
What do you think that represents in the game? Because that's, you know, that's a standout from a lot of other RPGs. Okay. Um, so sanity uh, is, it's kind of a combination of things. It's actually one of my, my uh, I've, I've, I've spoken about in length, like if I could change one thing about Call of Cthulhu, I would do a couple tweaks to this. But in, in the Lovecraft stories where it, it got its name and it's in that mythology of the Lovecraftian world, uh, very often your characters, as they are discovering the, 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 the real truth of the world, are losing their grip and uh, will have you know bouts of you know madness as they're kind of losing their mind. Um, the sanity mechanic represents that. So when a monster jumps out in front of you and you might have to make your sanity save, your sanity stat is somewhere between 0 and 99. Um, it might go down because you roll based off that same thing. You roll under your sanity, you're great. You roll above it, uh-oh. And depending on the creature, you then roll a D8 or D6 or whatever and start lowering your sanity, meaning the lower it gets, the more likely you are to fail it. If you lose so much, you might uh, run away screaming for a couple rounds or you know, different, different effects from that. Uh, on the long term, though, if it ever hits zero, your character is considered permanently insane and they are out. So it's more like a mental hit point. Um, other games that have come out since have uh, kind of their own variants on that, where it is sometimes it is just treated like mental hit points, physical hit points. Like uh, the 2D20 system will do it that way. Um, or they will have different ways that sanity can work. I think Delta Green broke it up into three tiers versus just a general sanity pool. And there are different effects it could have based off your personality. Like, well, I'm conditioned toward violence. So all the stuff that would make you go crazy when you're experiencing violence, I'm immune to because I'm that jaded. So there's, there's a lot of things, but it's mostly a mental hit. And if you lose it too many, too fast, you might be taken out for a short while, or your character may have uh, what's called underlying insanity, where they might be hallucinating um, strange things. They might be trying to get a grip, hearing sounds that aren't there. Mm-hmm. Uh, my favorite example, which they love in movies, is that friend calls you on the phone, and you're on the phone with them, and they're helping you out, and then they find out later on the phone wasn't working, and you've just been talking to yourself, even though they've been helping you. Uh, <laughs> It's, it's a cool little trick a game master can do. Be like, feed him some pence. Is <laughs> it running around the house? This is like a cordless phone. Yeah, it's just it's wire hanging off. And they're like, okay, yeah, I heard that. And doing their thing. So it's it, it's just a different aspect of mental hit point. Mm. Yeah. Um, so changing gears a little, uh, before we started uh, recording, we were talking a little about Twitch and YouTube and that sort of thing. So um, the majority of my experience has been recording and live streaming on Twitch, but you have done primarily YouTube. So we were curious if you have any experience or any advice for um, YouTubers out there that want to get into, uh, you know, doing a talk show or an actual play or anything like that. Well, so what I do is it is all recorded and edited um, beforehand. And so my method is I, I learned very quickly that I need to go ahead and script it. Because if I don't, it is, it's full of a lot of ums and ahs. And I'm trying to figure out how to word, it, word things right. Or afterwards, I'm like, oh, I forgot to mention blah. Um, so I, I will script it. You don't need any... F- fancy equipment. You know, originally, actually, for the first four or five years of my channel, 
my teleprompter was literally a laptop directly underneath my camera that had it up as a um, uh, just a slideshow. It had basically two sentences per slide. There was like huge font, and I could glance down. I was mostly using that as kind of my notes to remember what I was saying, uh, so I didn't look like a complete fool. Uh, but go ahead and write that out. Uh, there are a lot of free editing softwares out there uh, that you can you can use to edit the video. Microphones are more important than a nice camera. Uh, that sounds I say that all the time. <laughs> that sounds so against what people think when they think of YouTube. But nope, people will handle a uh, fuzzy video long before they'll handle you sounding like you're talking through a soup can. Mm -hmm. um, but the big thing that I do recommend with people with YouTube, because the technical stuff you can figure out um, and you can get better equipment as you go, is find your own voice of what you want to talk about. The, 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 real, the key principle to YouTube is it's you. People will come to your channel because there is a video topic that they stumbled across that interests them. That will bring them there. But what keeps them there is they like what it is you do. So then they start showing up and uh, that didn't interest me as much, but I like that person and they'll see what all what else you do. Um, so very quickly, and it does take a while to kind of step into uh, your own voice because when somebody has a camera put on them, we immediately take on a persona and it takes a while to teach yourself how to literally be yourself, which once again, does not sound normal, but it's true. Uh, but yeah, just just be yourself. And the first thing you should probably spend money on is a microphone and, and write it out. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> so uh, speaking of your videos, uh, I noticed a lot of the videos when I started watching you, you, you had like skits with multiple characters and you playing all of them. But a lot of the recent ones are more limited to you talking to Jack the NPC. Is this a, or is a streamlined production just because they, you know save you from doing five different personalities? Um, no, the um, so the, the persona thing just kind of happened. That was never that was never in master plan at any point. Um, but it, it depends on what the the topic is. So if if it's a uh, review, I have this Jack the NPC persona that I will have in, in my game reviews that I, I do back and forth with. Um, and really the only ones he doesn't appear in are either I made him in my first six months before I had cemented Jack, or if I'm doing a, uh, a review series, which actually just started my third one, uh, where he appears in the second one as we're doing character creation. So he's not in the first one, and then it's like, okay, second episode, we're going to make you know this character and um but so that's when jack is used and then for the the group around the table that was usually when i was talking about um like player game master issues and i kind of use them as examples and i just use them for kind of silly things i had uh, so I'll, I'll use them if they're i don't know if i think they're helpful to it uh the past couple months you know it's just I, uh, I haven't used the the gang, which is what I call the the three players, uh, just because I'd done a, a huge series on doing um, dungeon design. I didn't use any skits for it. Skits wouldn't have added anything to it because they're like these forty minute giant <laughs> image heavy videos. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I, I could throw in a quick little joke. I was like, I'm just adding length to this 
already beast and i don't think it adds any um you know any value to it uh so really it's just the only reason there's kind of like a dry moment right now is just what i chose to do it on so um the setup for them does take a while um, I hate dweebles. I, I really hate doing that one because I, I didn't know I was committing. I just, I, I did a skit one day and I needed, I had established this long haired player. They didn't even have names. And um, I wanted to have him talk to two other people. So I kind of threw together these two cheesy little outfits as fast as possible. And one of them, I just decided to do this like really extreme, like comb over with a like, ridiculous amount of gel in my hair. And had I known I was going to be doing this for like the next forever, I would have absolutely not done that because it's like, oh god, now's the part where I have to like actually like smear my hair as far over with all this gel, yeah. and it's like, okay, and um, I'd, I probably would have gotten my hat. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's I mean the same thing happens when you're GMing, right? You're the the weakest, worst NPCs are the ones that the crowd loves, and you end up doing forever. <laughs> Yeah, and it was like, those guys, it was a stupid voice to pull out of my butt, and I can't maintain it for more than, like, ten seconds before it starts hurting my throat. They're like, more, more! And you're like, what about all the others? Like, no! <laughs> I I used to play in an actual play uh, live stream game, and, and it, it, it was exactly that. There was an NPC that chat just loved, and every time his voice would come on, the GM would do it, and, like, you could see him, like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> When, when I first started, the uh, the Jack the NPC character actually had a much deeper, gravelier voice. Uh, but then I started having him do these monologues, and I could not maintain it. Yeah, you know, like yeah. after about twenty seconds, I, I will start coughing. So his his voice kind of dropped a bit, where it was a lot easier on my throat, and I could just talk in that way. Uh, but the the earlier ones, which sorry to tell, because my microphones were awful, um, is. Uh, it was much more. Uh, it's more modeled after Doctor Girlfriend from the Venture Brothers. If you ever have seen mm-hmm. the Venture Brothers, it was very, very deep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um. So, what is uh, going back to talking about just uh, RPGs in general? What is your favorite uh, RPG adventure module? Whether it's for D and D or something else. <laughs> Yeah, there's a there's a couple, and it depends on uh, what the context is. As far as um, ones that I think are just just wonderful is uh, for Call of Cthulhu, there is Edge of Darkness, um, and that used to actually be in the, the one that you got when you got the book. Edge of Darkness is in the back, and now it's in the Quick Start uh, thing, and I think it's just a very tight. Uh, adventure, and we had an absolute blast playing it, and I had a lot of fun with it. Um, but there's also been several others. Let's see. Uh, I've always been very far- partial to Secret of Bone Hill. It was an old AD&D adventure that I, I've always described. It's 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 a miniature campaign setting that's pretending it's a module because it's like this whole countryside and this village and all these people and all these little sub adventures everywhere. It, it doesn't really have a modules plot. It's more like, hey, in 20 pages, here's here's where you're going to spend the next year of your gaming life, you know, on this 
you know, traveling around through all that, which is what we've done. I, I, I played that when I was uh, very young, and then uh, uh, I ran that, and we we just used the village or the the, the Bone Hill area for oh, this was yeah, it's about a year. So so that one, but it's also a lot of nostalgia factor for me, uh, just because I had such a good time uh, with that one. Uh, see, there was also for D&D, there was another one called All That Glitters, which is not a very well-known one. And it, I don't know, I always thought that was cool because it's like this magic subway system that you guys have to figure out that like it turns into a stargate. And then you, know, you go from the jungle to the desert and there's all this stuff to it that it was so not the conventional dungeon crawls that were coming out mm. at that time. It was a, it was a much more epic field that had widely varied terrain and you got your uh, your map that was actually three pieces and you had to hold them together like at the beginning of uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark when he's got the thing so always liked that one um, but another one that was actually always very important to me and it's not that it's good it was just the right thing at the right time uh, when we started playing uh, as our primary game Cyberpunk 2020 uh, we'd plan to play this like a side gig for a few years, but finally, when I'm like, "This is going to be our primary game now," you know, you, you went on eBay and I'm buying lots of you know books because you know instead of one at a time, it's like somebody's selling their old collections. Like, oh, cool! I'll give you forty bucks for everything you got. And it, I ended up with a lot of modules. I never used modules because you know I was I was brilliant, and I ended up reading one that was called Thicker Than Blood, and it is a uh, a mystery for uh, a missing boy and having never actually read a, a the way that they would do adventures it completely changed how we played the game after that because we had been trying to play it like D&D with guns and skyscrapers and how it used the skills and how it wove the plot and how it did a mystery uh, completely changed everything for us and it was like oh I'm going to keep reading these to see what else what other cool ideas that I didn't know about. Uh, so I, I'm, it's pretty special to me. It's probably not that good, but I will always have a very rose-colored glasses towards it. Say, ah, uh, you were the one. You were the one that taught me that I had no idea what I was doing. So. <laughs> I think I think we all have something, whether it's teach RPG or Ooh. other like that. You know, yeah. that comfort thing you gravitate back to. For me, oh, it's like 90s movies. Whatever. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that, it's just the right place, right time. And you, you might even be able to acknowledge it. It's not that good, but it's mine forever. <laughs> hits, that, <laughs> hits the spot. Um, All right. Um, could you give any advice for running horror in TTRPGs? Okay. Um, with, with, with horror, the... the the big secrets of horror is one your players need to know that we're, we're walking into a horror situation there is a, a fantasy that we will surprise them with it's a horror situation um but especially if you're doing something like D, &D uh it, it does not go over well they have to be told because with horror it isn't about it's not something you can just attack the bad guy up front. It is usually some unknown thing that you have to come at sideways. You might not be entirely sure what it is. And if 
the the players believe that they need to charge it head on, it, it it's not going to go as well. But if they know it's horror, they are more likely to approach it that way because they we all understand around the table this is the mood we're going for. So they're less likely to do all the cutting up and all the goofy stuff you do when you're playing uh, and fall into that sort of frame of mind. Mm-hmm. Um, the there's a, there's a famous Lovecraft quote talking about um, you know, the, the the most powerful emotion is fear, the most powerful fear is fear of the unknown, and that's part of the don't necessarily show the bad guy. Every or the, or the monster is every piece of thing that you tell them about it is one less mystery they have to solve about it, um, which is why uh, a lot of the older um, horror movies who we go in special effects were god-awful. At first, you'd see, like, a hand reach into the window, and or you'd see some footprints. <clears throat> you never saw what set the footprints, or a shape in the darkness as it's kind of building up the reveal. Uh, just to have it jump out in front of you, it's like, well, okay, well, you have, the surprise is over, that's the monster, and it loses that uh, effect. And, you know, Jaws ended up doing that from just due to technical issues, and it was considered a masterpiece. If they had released it the way they originally wanted to, it probably wouldn't be remembered as being that great because it was all it was originally going to show the shark a lot. Mm. You know, Bruce the shark just broke and a masterpiece was born. So instead and don't have it be like, oh, it's orcs, because everybody knows what an orc is. Have them have to discover what it is. It literally could be a an orc, but the less that they actually know about it, the better. Because, it, especially with a lot of certain creatures that you might find in the monster manual, your players can recite, oh, this is its weakness and all this. Like, no, they, they have to discover its weakness. And first, they discover what it looks like and what it can do, um, how many of them are there, and, and, and all of that. Uh, and that not knowing all the information is really where the horror can come from. There should also be a sense of powerlessness against it. Uh, this shouldn't be something they can just beat up. Uh, and it should be a real threat. Either it can kill them or it can knock them out and take them out of the adventure or whatnot to where it's a real threat. If the monster can't actually hurt you, it's not that threatening. Uh, if the monster is like, oh my god! And and it's a real threat. That's also where the fear comes from, mm-hmm. because you're outmatched. Makes sense. Um, so that sort of is a nice way to lead into our next question, um, which is uh, if you have any advice for any creators who are looking to uh, write any sort of mystery scenario. It seems kind of like some of what you just said kind of would play into that. But if there's any other advice that you have. Yeah, um, with mysteries, a lot of, I, I think a, a lot of the general advice that you see whenever you go looking up, uh, like how to game master and how to write an adventure needs to go right out the window. Uh, <laughs> because with a mystery, you you should know the, the who, what, where, when, why, and how before it begins. Because we are going to make a plot and your players are going to pick it apart we're under a fine tooth comb and there is a, a classic piece of advice which i love the concept for of well if your players have an idea that that's what it's going to be and now they feel like they're smart because they figured it out it doesn't work as well in a mystery because all of a sudden we start having a lot of plot holes popping up as far as like wait this 
they couldn't have done this because they were here and here. So go ahead and, and write out who your bad guy is, what their motivation is, why they did it, how they did it, yada, yada, yada. And then come up with clues. Clues are the big part to it, where um, you know they will find a clue at the scene of the crime that leads them to this location where they can discover this. They can send them here. Uh, I always recommend have it to be, you've got at least three locations. You've got the start, three locations, and the end. And you can increase the location part in the middle, but you want it to be where uh, you go to the first one and you find clues to either all three or maybe two of them. And then you go to one of those and it might tell you about the other two or, or whatnot. Uh, there's also a good need for redundancy because uh, being a tabletop role-playing game, and this is true, if you require that they find that clue by making a skill roll, I don't care how easy that skill roll is, they will not make that skill roll. Uh, so have redundant clues. Uh, the other big thing is don't, they don't actually need to be that difficult. Uh, I think a lot of people are trying to like come up with the next like you know, Poirot, overly elaborate mystery. It's like, yeah, your players aren't, your players aren't storybook characters that are being written by the author to magically come up with the answer at the right time. It, it's it's your buddies, and you know your buddies are kind of dumb. So uh, it, it, it doesn't need to be that elaborate, because as they figure out, they're going to be the ones solving it. it you know, since they've got every option in the world, and it shows the right one, they're going to be pretty proud of themselves. So it doesn't need to be so elaborate as... Um, some award-winning mystery novel that somebody's supposed to sit down and read. This is something for them to figure out. Mm. Uh, so the Alexandrian has what he calls the three-clue rule. Is for every thing that you want them to figure out, there should be three clues somewhere that support that. I also like to add they should be all discovered different ways. So if this one's found by a search or spot skill, the other one is found through a charisma check, and the third one might just be found if somebody says, hey, um... I'm going to check the trunk of the car. Is there anything in there? Why, yes, there is. Uh, where it's not even a skill roll. They just have to say the right thing. Um, but three separate clues that point them to every direction and make sure that every location you have has three things uh, that logically would send them there. A lot of other times when we write stories, you know, we're mapping it out in our head, we kind of have these logic leaps where it's like, Okay, they'll, they'll go to the old farmhouse, and then they'll go to the lighthouse. And it's like, why? Well, because they do. Why would they randomly decide then to do it? Like, oh, and it's, it's amazing that that's how often it works. It's like, You're right. Nothing would send them to the lighthouse. Like, yeah, you need to have three things that say the lighthouse is a good idea um, at some point in your adventure. And then you can have uh, your final location or your reveal after that. Uh, so that's kind of the basic outline is start, three locations, final location. Nice. And trust me, it does not need to be too complicated. <laughs> uh, your, your players will overcomplicate it. That is also a rule of tabletop gaming. Yeah, true. <laughs> All right. Is there anything else that we didn't ask that you wanted to talk about? I don't know, man. I, 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 I don't actually think I'm that interesting. Uh, <laughs> so. I feel like all creator content creators say that. Like, I'm actually not. <laughs> I'm just a dork, man. Um, 
Well, you know, I could I talked about that. Uh, mysteries. Oh yeah, I could talk to y'all about Traveler or other games, man. I got I got a whole arsenal of stuff I can go over if you want. Well, we didn't ask about Traveler. <laughs> I still have my original, the first edition hardcover, but not the not the collected book, not the booklet stuff. I, oh, that not not the hardcover uh, they printed after that. The um, I discovered Traveler just a couple years ago. I'd heard about it, and I knew nothing about it, and it like quickly owned me. And then you find out it's like. Oh, this has been around since I think it came like two months after Star Wars. I like yeah. Mark Miller had like some absolute amazing timing when when he released his his sci-fi game. That it was right. one of the only ones in the market. It was the best one in the market by far, and the world's first blockbuster just dropped. So that was all about that. And one of the things I love about Traveler is it's a, it's a sci-fi role-playing game that is it's about being space travelers is it is so much to it that's part of what actually makes it intimidating at first is because the book gives you a billion options and a lot of people think i have to do all this like no it's just a it's a toolbox to make endless worlds and and uh but it does have the aspects of it's not character level it's character skill your characters are very mortal you don't have hit points your hit points are actually your stats so as you know when you, when you get hit it's like okay well your strength just went down by three and you know once your you, your, your stats yeah. at zero that's all she wrote so it's it has an immediate effect it's not like you took five hit points and you shrugged that off it's like oh dang my decks went down now i can't shoot as well and <laughs> Uh, so that that's a fun aspect to that one. Yeah. Uh, Shannon Applecline is actually about to release a history of Traveler. I'm actually kind of been looking forward to that. Uh, I don't know if you ever read any of his Designers and Dragons series. Um, if not, I highly recommend it. But uh, he's about to release basically a full book about just the history of uh, Traveler and Mark Miller. So that's great. I know I get excited about history of RPG books. That is the <laughs> level of dork I am. <laughs> I mean, there's definitely worse things to get excited about. Yeah. Probably, but this one's pretty niche. <laughs> <in the laughs> community. All right. Well, um, thanks, Seth, for talking with us. Uh, you, you can find Seth's YouTube videos on his channel, Seth Skorkowski. You can find what we do, uh, TTRPG content daily, Monday through Friday at shadowmain.com. Uh, where we post interviews, reviews, articles, news, whatever we can get our hands on. So uh, thanks, everybody. Thanks. Thank you.